the feeling of empowerment that it gives to me and I just feel alive. All the energy that is inside of me just kind of gets released. The amount of signatures that I've got in my books of thank you for making my first convention amazing or I've found you again. Welcome to the People of Perth podcast, a series all about the people who live in the most isolated city on the planet. Think back to school, art or music lessons. Did you have teachers who inspired you to want to find a creative outlet? Or maybe that kind of talk was lost on you. Whether it's through the arts or another outlet for expression, our desire as Australians to share who we are seems to be a big part of our identity. It's certainly something I've learnt conducting these interviews. In this episode of The People of Perth, we talk to three people who have found an outlet for their creativity and the journey it took them to embrace a part of themselves that couldn't be silenced. I'm Carmen Braidwood and these are The People of Perth. I'm still in the corporate world now. I'm only part-time. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Part-time at a bank. It's no secret that I'm a big supporter of getting off the couch and going out to see a live music act here in WA. If you head to any of our pubs in Perth on the weekend, chances are you are going to find someone plucking away on a steel string as the crowd happily sip their beverages in the beer garden. In fact, that musician might be Ari Davis, who's spent over two decades in the business and he's got plenty of tips for aspiring musicians, such as not abusing the bar tab. I've learned a lot in the last 20 years. I mean, regularly gigging probably only the last four or five years. But once you just tell yourself certain little mantras before you go to a gig, firstly, that they're not there to see you. Know that there's always somebody better. There's always somebody worse. The best that you can do is obviously whatever within your own capabilities, but also just simple things. Rock up on time. If they tell you to start at 7, start at (laughs) 6.58. If it's 10 o'clock and somebody yells one more song, play that one more song. You know, um, if you're supposed to have uh, 45 minute sets, make them 52 minute sets. Yeah, give more. You know, give a little, a little bit more because be grateful that you get to be paid to do what you love. People have just told me this uh, sometimes in a weird backhanded insult. They go, I think you prove, Ari, that it's not about talent. Huh? Okay, where are you going, <laughs> where are you going with this? That does sound a bit And then, then they go, because, because they'll say those things to me. They'll yeah. just go... We know you're going to rock up. Yeah. If, if you have to cancel a gig, you give us plenty of notice. You ask around for us. You never go over the bar tab. <laughs> yeah. You never you don't ask. take the P-I-5-5. Exactly. Did say P-1-5? Yes. Or, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I brought nine friends tonight and they just want a midi each. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. You do the right thing. Mm. Yeah. This is what I love about meeting the people of Perthling because to me, you're Ari the music guy. And, yeah. and you might know Ari if you see him at Manduna State. What are some of the other places you Oh, Manduna State. Play? I play at the National Hotel every Monday night uh, in Fremantle, Swan Yacht Club. I'm just going to name my favorite. So yeah. sorry to the, all the other you ones. You play weddings. Weddings, as well, don't yeah. You? So, I love playing weekend markets, uh, Subi yeah. Farmers Markets, one of my favorites. Frio Farmers Markets. Sorry, I should have said it the other way around. <laughs> Um, because I keep saying that yeah, that's where I, mm. I cut my teeth. Um, formerly Growers Green, but now Frio Farmers Markets. Um, but yeah, so I've been in the corporate world. And back then I was working full time. Um, in a bank? In a bank. Uh, I've been with the bank for 15 years now, but mm. always doing things in, in the corporate world for, since I came in 99. But it was walking the streets of Fremantle 15 years ago, seeing some buskers. And the wife said, you know, well, you know, you you, you still play music. You're brought up in a musical family. If you want to do some busking, this looks like a cool place. Fast forward, I found the Fremantle Markets Bar. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, they closed in 2016. Yeah, I remember they used to. It's a licensed venue within the Yeah, market. exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of good musicians had, had played there. And I met so many musicians. And that was my musical living room for about 10 to 12 years. And from there, literally from there, Robbie Ritchie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other fans. And the other I mean, fans. Yeah. Um, the National Hotel in Fremantle came because of that. All the little markets that I played were people going, we saw you at the bar in Fremantle. And I know Robbie just yeah always used to tell me, oh, I go watch Ari when I come in yeah. working up north or whatever. It's one of the first things he would do when he gets back to Perth. Exactly. And the cool thing is the legacy of that bar. You know, I was so sad about that bar closing. I couldn't actually talk about it for a week after the closing. So if you'd brought it up, I would just tear up and I'd go, oh, let's change the subject. What it does was, it mean to you, Ari? It, well, again, it was my musical living room for more than a decade. So every weekend I'd go there to either play or to watch people play. I, I still well up a little bit now. We're getting right? a little emo about but, this again. But for, yeah. for a week, I just couldn't talk about it. And people knew that I couldn't talk about it. So they're like... Let's not ask Ari about that. But I wasn't the only one. If you speak to other musicians, I'm going to plug them. Darren Gibbs, uh, Silva D, Michael Power, Stuart Herbertson, all these local musicians, Josh Johnston down in, in Fremantle. We were all so heavily impacted. But back to the word legacy, it's kind of cool now that four years down the track, I'll still see people walking around Fremantle going, hey, you remember that bar in Fremantle? I saw you there. I go, cool. do I remember that bar? You know, And then we turn into a 20-minute a chat about busking and live music and the changes. Changing careers can be intimidating. Giving up your work and your regular income to learn a new skill doesn't come without its risks. But for some of us, it might be an essential step to enjoying life. Sharon Krizanovsky first came to Perth to work as an architect. She was even involved in the design of Perth's Children's Hospital. But having pursued the career for several years, she found it just wasn't making her happy. So she packed up a life headed to London and yep, you're about to hear this right. She joined the circus. London was kind of a key moment for my life. While I was working in these yoga studios, I met so many people. I started going to circus shows and circus classes. And this involves aerials, aerial acrobatics. And when I saw them, I was just like, oh my God, I really want to be able to control my body that way. So a person needs to be so incredibly physically fit and I guess therefore also well in order to perform yes. those aerial stunts. Yeah. Yeah. You need to take care of your body. Yeah. Very, very well to be able to do those things. And I'm not a circus performer just yet because like the amount of training that is involved is crazy. Um, the professionals you see in fringe or you know, Cirque du Soleil, they train every day for hours to be able to get their bodies to do what they're doing. But even just having a glimpse of that for me was uh, like, oh my gosh, this is just a dream. So I started a wellness course as a wellness coach uh, when I was in London. And then we kind of eventually left London and I started training in circus acrobatics, Lyra, uh, Silks at Nika uh, and in another school. And then practicing aerial yoga, which was kind of the gentle <laughs> yogic version. And I actually really fell in love with aerial yoga because I was the anxious type, <laughs> the, you know, achiever, anxious type. And I had some anxiety problems, especially after architecture. Mm. And aerial yoga just really helped me heal like spiritually and physically, it strengthened me in ways I can't even describe really. 
eventually became a teacher in aerial yoga. And it's very, I don't know, it's just the thing that makes my heart the biggest. <laughs> like, I don't know, it just, it, it just feels right. So right. Yeah. Talk us through what happens in an aerial yoga class. It can be very different. So you can have really relaxing, restorative aerial yoga classes, and then you can have flows, uh, which are a bit more dynamic. And then you can actually have really intense conditioning classes that are closer to what an aerial conditioning class would be. I've always taught the more intense classes because I just liked challenging people and make them feel like your body is strengthening and you're doing things that you couldn't do before just by consistently doing these things. But then I got injured in circus, so not aerial okay. yoga. Yeah. Um, I fell from a silk six meters. Wow. Um, and that was because I, w I got distracted. So that's the thing. You need to be really present and focused in a moment. And someone was talking to me and I felt. How badly injured were you? Bad. <laughs> yeah, my left hip is still hurting like right now. I tore tissue. Uh, I had to get stitches and um, my left leg just kind of got grabbed and pulled Oh. Um, so I didn't fall on the ground. I just kind of yo-yoed on my leg. Mm. <laughs> but it's a lesson. And it taught me to become a bit more aware of my body. And, you know, there are other people with injuries like this. And they can't do the super intense aerial yoga classes. That do. So now I'm, I'm doing more of a gentler um, yeah. approach, a bit more towards what is good for your body. And so What did that first aerial yoga class feel like when you came back from your injury? It was very hard and I felt like my body changed quite a lot. It, it brought up a lot of problems because you need to be kind to yourself and say, I'll get there. And even if I don't get there 100%, I just have to do it at my own pace. And I can't be, you know, angry at myself because I'm not performing as well as before. A lot of people get angry. I got angry. I just wanted to go back into circus training straight away. <laughs> um, and I actually did too soon. Um, and then I started having problems. And then I was just like, all right, no, I can't do this. Like my body is just telling me nah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a big process for someone that likes to move as much as I do. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, slowing down and, and taking care of yourself. You probably wouldn't even describe yourself as fully recovered yet. No, no. And I don't know when I'm going to be fully recovered yet because it doesn't feel like it's close. It might never really heal up completely because it was such a trauma. But I am confident about the healing power of the body and eventually I hope that I'll be 100%. It has been now five months since yeah. I actually had the injury. Really, you're doing remarkably well to be teaching again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you are doing your circus training again? You've I'm going to start this week. Yeah. So yeah. What's going through your mind? Mm. The thought of going back to the circus training? I'll just take it easy, do what I can. The, the signs are pain. If you're in pain, just back off, stop. You just have to listen to your body. Yeah. And what motivates you to go back at all? I love moving. The feeling of empowerment that it gives to me and I just feel alive. All the energy that is inside of me just kind of gets released. Um, and I have a lot of energy, <laughs> a lot of energy inside of me. The advent of the digital world has given artists and creatives countless new avenues to share their work with new audiences. It's also seen the emergence of digital communities that stretch across the globe through massive multiplayer games and artist hubs. When I caught up with Chris Lundstrom again, his passion for creating 
oozed from him. I like seeing the light in someone's eyes when you present to them either something that they weren't expecting or something that they were expecting but not in that way. And he told me about how it had collided with his love of the online game World of Warcraft and how he'd never expected he could become a regular fixture of the company's yearly convention in the US. It's not always easy to find your tribe, but when a digital connection becomes solidified in the real world, it's a feeling unlike any other. I've been doing the BlizzCon gaming convention in California. Run by Blizzard Entertainment, and now they're the producers of the very well-known game, World of Warcraft. That's correct, yes. You can tell I know not a lot about gaming, (laughs) but I just want to bring people along for the ride who equally know little about Mm -hmm. gaming as I do. But to to most people who are gamers of any genre, they would know all about BlizzCon, wouldn't they? Uh, Even in passing. And you travel to the convention. How often have you been over to BlizzCon? Every year since 2009. We skipped 2012 because they decided we don't really feel the requirement to put on the convention this year. And what's the status with BlizzCon 2020? Everything that I need to do, I have to carry in two bags and carry on. And for what I want to do, that's impossible. So for them to say, okay, guys, COVID has ripped this world apart. Everyone is shutting down airports. We're going to take the honourable decision and not have a convention this year. So you're relieved that it's actually been cancelled. Because I don't want to have a reason to go over if I can avoid it. Because that has allowed me to finally get my workshop sorted out, to get the tools that I need to put everything together. And I now actually have the ability to start making a prop in one part of the workshop and know that I can have another part going because I've got some assistance. And this is because when you go to BlizzCon, you put on a presentation, you recreate a game event in real life. I do. We've got the Dark Moon Fair in World of Warcraft. For the last five years, I decided let's put the Dark Moon Fair in BlizzCon. Yeah, right. And so 2015, I believe, was the first Dark Moon Fair at BlizzCon. And when I saw the map, I thought to myself, yes, I was meant to be here. And I started a quest chain where I had visitors handing fishing bait to a friend of mine fishing out in the fountain. They would go back and forth. And it was so, so poorly put together but it was so much fun (laughs) to the point where I now do a series of daily quests for my patrons and the amount of signatures that I've got in my books of thank you for making my first convention amazing or I found you again, my regulars keep coming back. The feeling of validation. You make animatronics or would like to? That has been a long-term goal to the point where not only does my boyfriend have a background, but a mutual friend of ours also has a background. So between my sculpting ability, accessibility of printing all that off, I can start making animatronics. For years I've wanted to make a giant animated imp to go on my shoulders as well. Again, part of a quest in World of Warcraft. Yeah. I'm now this much closer. It's all because you love seeing that moment of happiness, of delight in your audience's faces. I performed a wedding last year for two friends. I went out of my way to get the, the most basic legal requirements necessary and when I'm wearing my business attire, the robes of a, of a spellcaster in the Darkmoon Fair, it just felt so right that I, I've now become the unholy wedlock. So I, fans of the game uh, could engage you to yes, wed them? I literally performed two vow renewals for different gaming franchises last year. 
A lot of gamers can face criticism for staying within that electronic world, within the walls of their home. But what you're telling me is that you've met people on the game and then also met them in real life. I spent two weeks in 2009. I flew to California for my very first international holiday. I ticked off so many cliched boxes, it's not funny. And before that, I asked a friend that I actually met in playing World of Warcraft, I'm going on holiday, would you mind having me over for a couple of days? And she goes, yes. And so I spent two weeks in New Zealand, spending time with a fantastic lady and a housemate that I met through literally World of Warcraft. Would you say you found your tribe in the online gaming community? I have found my tribe. I've found my home, my family, because of gaming and life. Next time on the People of Perth podcast, we'll talk about your passions, the things that call us to take a different journey, to embark on something that will answer that call. We'll hear about the unexpected power of comedy from Jiggy. To watch a person land a joke who's never had an opportunity is life-changing. We'll talk with Paul Woodhams about WA's love affair with spicy food. I personally think out of the 10 best chilli companies in Australia, I reckon we've got five of them right here. And Lizelle shares her passion for self-empowerment. I want that message to go out to their family and their children. This podcast series is built from interviews with the members of the Perthling Facebook group. If you'd like to be part of future Perthling projects, head to the link in the episode's description and join us. The People of Perth podcast is produced by Bad Bard Productions and presented by me, Carmen Braidwood. I hope you'll join us next time for more stories from the world's most isolated city. Thanks for listening. Listener.